0: Turn to 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 4. So King, he's already installed because remember it was between actually six months and a year before David died that King Solomon was actually given the reins of power. I would imagine that over that between that six month and a year time it was pretty much transferred to him wholesale but he was his father was still training him, his father was still giving him words of wisdom even though David was pretty much at death's door pretty, at that time anyway. Remember, he was in bed. He couldn't even keep uh, warm anymore. So that's, wh- that's where we are with Solomon. So Solomon right now, as he takes the throne and his father's passes away, it seems like his priorities are in order. But yet, he's still a human being. And so, of course, we're going to see difficulties here. And actually, the end of his reign, and we're not there yet. We'll get there in a, in a couple of sessions later. But at the end of his reign, when his sons take over, his son actually uh, Rehoboam takes over, he set up some things in Israel that would would not only result in more problems again, but worse, because the kingdom will actually divide. Everybody's heard of the divided kingdom? It starts right after after, uh, Solomon's reign. And of course, by whom? Well, daddy does his day job well, but yet again, his sons, you know, don't have uh, that much going for him. So we're going to trace some of the, uh, some of the, uh, the events of, the, well, the most prominent events of King Solomon's life. But let's, let's start from, from the beginning and from, I think, the most prominent thing, because I know for myself, whenever I think of King Solomon, I think of wisdom. Uh, wisdom is a wonderful thing. Matter of fact, you know the tagline on my website if you've ever visited it. does anybody know my tagline? Say... Go to the verses and go pick it. I'm not pointing anybody out here. So you don't need any excuses, but I'm just looking around to see. I, don't, I never visited your site. Well, maybe you're so intent on just getting the notes, you just pass, fly right over it. <laughs> All right. So, it's turning. Oh, yes, I will. You want, oh, oh, now you're interested. I'll wait for somebody to ask me. It's turning knowledge into wisdom through detailed study. Turning knowledge into wisdom through detailed study. For me, like I I told you, in my opinion, there are only really two things you take away from this life because you know you come in here with exactly nothing. And you leave with nothing. If you are not a Christian, you actually leave with less than nothing. It would be better that if you were never born, right? But if you are a Christian, what you leave with are eternal life. Now, you may have life more abundantly here, but you don't actually leave with anything here except what you send up ahead. And even when we go to be with the Lord during the time just before the marriage supper of the Lamb, when uh, the rapture occurs, but before the rapture actually occurs, what happens? The dead in Christ rise first. Everybody familiar with that? So when we're all gathered together at that point, the dead have the honor of actually rising first, which I think is a good thing. But it's so fast. I mean, in the twinkle of an eye, we'll be changed. But we're going to be judged. We still are going to be judged. Do you realize that as a Christian? You will be judged, not unto death. But there are things we're going to be judged for. And what does Jesus say about it? That you will be judged and... and, and uh, uh, not Jesus, the, uh, the New Testament. But he's basically... Because he's going to be doing the judging. Because he is the judge, right? And anything that uh, you do or I do that is sent up will be rewarded for. But anything that... If, if there's somebody who gets to heaven just because they're Christian and they've done very little... They're barely going to make it into heaven alive. They're not going to have a lot of rewards. You know the parable of the talent. What is, what is said about the person with the, uh, who had the, the one talent? What happens to him? Taken away him? Right. And he's also called a worthless servant. He's also kicked out. And what happens to the talent that was taken away from him? One. 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 Yeah. Well. That's right. So mark that. Mark that. And I think the only other thing you take away is wisdom. So gain wisdom. You've already gained eternal life. And I believe the only way, one of the major reasons to gain wisdom is to have life here and life more abundantly. And not only that, it's through wisdom that God framed the world, right? Through wisdom, God created the universe. As a matter of fact, wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, is even understanding Him. But the more you and I understand him and, and gain wisdom and live life with wisdom, not just trying to get knowledge and not just like looking day by day, I will tell you, I I promise you, because God's changed me through wisdom. It's a commodity that if you have it, you will be able to send up high quality goods ahead of you. That Jesus is now going to be using, I believe, is in, in you know, a euphemism here to uh to build your part of the mansion or whatever housing, you know, quote-unquote, you're going to have. Your rewards are going to be based on it. You might as well get wisdom. And you know what God says about wisdom, right? Oh, it's great. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> that's, the, that's the main thing. That's, that's why, okay, so you know my tagline. You know, I'm big on wisdom. Hopefully you can see maybe some of it. Maybe, I don't know. Don't ask my family about it. They see it in me, but that's another point. All right. So 1 Kings chapter 3 and verse 4. Now Solomon has his priorities squarely in order. And the first order of business as the new king is to, uh, to praise the God who made it so. And the smart thing to do is ask him for the ability to do it well. That all of us, do all of us remember to do that? I've had to actually remember to do that. <laughs> and I've hopefully made it more part when, I, when I've gotten a new job or I've gotten a promotion or I've gotten a new task that I'm kind of questioning. Now, how am I going to go about this? I've never. like, matter of fact, this, this, actually this week I've got to start developing a business plan for the department I'm the head of. I've, developed, I've never developed a business plan before. I never went to college. What do I know about business plans? But I've got to do it. The CEO's looking at me, the CFO's looking at me, who's also the COO of the company. So I'm in a position now that I have to produce something and they're, they're, you know, it's my job. But I took this job knowing that I don't know everything. <laughs> But I'll do it, and I'll know I'll be able to do it, because you know what? There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, and part of my personal wisdom and your personal wisdom is actually finding the right counsel. Yes. Don't do many things by yourself. Matter of fact, Moses had to be taught that by his father-in-law. And In this country, especially most of us, especially me, we're so bent on just really doing it ourselves, this independent spirit. Well, say again? Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency, which is great for the world. But it's something I know I had a root out of my life. Well, King Solomon here is smart at this juncture because that's exactly what he's going to do. But unfortunately, when God gives him that wisdom, the downside of it is pride can well up, right? Look at all the wisdom that Satan had. Look at all the beauty he had. Look what it did. Actually, look what he did with it. Well, Solomon's going to be sort of like that too, as was David and others. But, so 1 Kings chapter 3, and verse 4. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, Ask for whatever you want of me to give you. But Can you imagine that? Some great dreams by a lot of people have been based on, What if God said, Just ask me for anything? (laughs) right? Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart, which he was. David was a man after God's own heart. God said it himself. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on this throne or his throne to this very day. He's reviewing the full knowledge of the Davidic covenant and he knows he's part of it by the grace of God. Right? By the way, are you just as convinced of the covenant with you and me? that we have been given privilege to become Christians, you're following in the line of a great multitude of saints, great multitude of people, most of which no one's ever heard of, who have accomplished great things for the Lord. And that was because of a covenant that's just as valid for us as the covenant of uh, the Davidic covenant was as valid for, for, for Solomon. Do you and I thank God for the legacy that He's allowed us to be grafted into? Think of it. Solomon and David are grafted forward into Jesus Christ. And Solomon's thanking him for it, because he knows this. You and I are grafted backward into the same vine. We need to be just as thankful, like, you know, paying it forward. We need to pay it backward. We need to pay it forward. We need to pay it up and down. But you and I have to have the same understanding of this that Solomon does. He's thankful that he's in the line of this kingship that will lead to Messiah. You and I must be thankful and act like it and reason like it and ask God for the help to make us do the job that is required of kings and priests, which we are. So that's our covenant. And that's my personal impression of the importance of the Davidic covenant and how I apply it to us today. It's very important. Very important. Verse 7. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So he's feeling a little bit overwhelmed here at this point. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth, for yourself by the way this backfires on him because it's exactly what he does later on he goes nuts with wealth but at this point this is what god is saying to him because you have not asked for long life or wealth for yourself nor have you asked for the death of your enemies but for discernment and administering justice you see the context here right or well, not the context the concept here he's not asking for his personal satisfaction his personal pleasure and his personal aggrandizement and enjoyment he's also not doing something we humans are very capable of doing is saying hurt my enemies, help me destroy my enemies you know we, we ask that I, it's so tricky because I know that I, I, I have to stop myself when when people bother me or, or when they uh, you know when they're irritants or I have to deal with somebody on a regular basis that I don't particularly because they you know they're against me in some form or whatever and I have to stop myself from and I don't really do it anymore because I, I, I do, I guess, but I stop myself. Instead of saying, remedy the situation, God, and do this to that person, it's now remedy the situation, God, by helping this person see. Do you, know, you, you see the difference? And basically, that's what God is showing you. He's showing the major things that we should pray for <laughs> right here. Verse 12, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. So that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever, uh, like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and obey my staff, oh, there's that qualifier again. Do you realize he's got that in store for us, too? I hate just as much as you should hate, and I think everybody here does, is the gospel of prosperity. But let me tell you something. God is not going to be mocked. You know that. And God is also not here to see us squirm like the worms we are. So don't dwell on the fact that you're a worm. Dwell on the fact that now you've been grafted into a covenant. And you are royalty. Think of that. The world has tricked you and I. You know, the best way to usurp you and me and make us absolutely useless is the kingdom of heaven. You know, I mean not the kingdom, but I mean on earth here. Is to believe the lie that you're worthless, you're scum. Oh, but it says that throughout Scripture we're just worthless and if I believe I'm anything even halfway decent, I'm grappling with the evil of pride. That's foolishness. I will tell you right now that's foolishness. And you may be even looking at me and saying, what a prideful man he is because he's saying humbleness is foolishness. That's not what I'm saying. But I have said this in my book of Revelation class and I'll state it right here. I have known poor people who will squeeze a nickel and hang on to it till death so much as, a, as much as a greedy, a greedy rich person would. You see, the problem is not the nickel. The problem is not whether you have one nickel or ten million nickels. The problem is your attitude. And if God wants to bless you, and He does, you have to show yourself, and I have to show my, myself to be a couple of things here useful for that blessing to administer the blessing in such a way like he says here not just to use it on myself but if prosperity is part of that blessing because we obey him in tithes and offerings right God loves the heart of a cheerful giver that's an attitude about the widow's mite she had one nickel or one dime or whatever you want to call it a denarii and she put it in that pot but yeah where there were rich Pharisees who would not do that except when they put a lot in there and that wasn't because they love that pot so much, they love the temple so much, it's because they wanted to make a show of it. That's pride. There are poor people with just as much pride as rich people. There are poor people that are proud of being poor. I ain't got nothing and my father ain't got nothing. I'm proud because I still got nothing and look how I'm doing. I'm doing okay. Thank you Lord. There are too many people like that. There are also people who are very rich who do not give anything to anybody but look at me. I'm driving my Beamer. I'm driving my Mercedes. But let me tell you, there are a lot of people you look at who are wealthy, you would never know they are. The millionaire next door, the upper middle class person down the road. You can look throughout, and if you don't see who they are, maybe they're Christian, maybe they're being blessed, because not only are they obedient, but that's not a qualifier for prosperity, but a part of what God wants to through through you, because of the gifts He's given you, and the position He's given you, and whatever, right, use it, enjoy it, and use it. That's my point, and that's what's happening here with Solomon. So he says here, because you asked me for the most important things, I am not only going to do those for you, because you need those things to do what you want to do, which is guide these people, but I'm also going to add to you things that you haven't asked for. But what if it was the opposite? God, I want wealth and power. And by the way, if you can show me how to you know, guide these people, that would be pretty cool. See what I'm saying? <laughs> So don't detest prosperity, and I don't just mean monetary prosperity. There are people who are in good health, and there are people who are not in good health. It has nothing to do with whether they sinned or not. It has something to do with God's plan for them. Because I know people who are very healthy, and they are poor in spirit. Let me tell you, I wouldn't ask them their testimony for nothing but there are people who are not healthy or who have had trials throughout their lives or or have loved ones who are not healthy and darn it, I'm telling you, I have asked for their testimony because I know what they'll tell me and they'll encourage me. So this is important. Did I make it clear? I'm not being prideful. I'm actually, yes, I'm passionate because there are too many people, I'm telling you, there are too many people walking around dull like Jesus said, either be hot or cold, but be something. Have passion. That's it, that's all it's about. You don't have to go around screaming all day. I don't really, I do not scream all day. <laughs> but I, just here, <laughs> no, actually. Actually, when I'm in meetings and I'm teaching, as a matter of fact, I was just teaching a technical class at Leahy Clinic because they bought some of our equipment. And I was there teaching. I'm passionate about my technology. I'm passionate about whiteboarding how it all works, and I'm passionate about those things, because that's my life. That's what I was given to do, and that's what I can do, and that's what I love to do. I'm passionate about when I work on cars, or when I fix computers, or when I'm doing this, because this is the stuff of life. People, too many, see now I'm not even teaching scripture anymore, now I'm preaching. <laughs> too many people watch the, their, their passion in life is to get the next program on their iPod or on TV, or to get their TiVo set up so they can watch the show down, uh, that they don't want to miss a week. That's not life. Man. Okay. This is life. I, you know what? I don't I'm not even going to the second service now. I had enough preaching. Stop bringing me this good coffee. You're really winding in the oven. Yes. Oh, well, let me think of a good answer for that one. Whatever she fed me, don't give to him. He's fired up enough. Can you imagine if you gave him something to fire him up? (laughs) Let's see. And if you walk in my ways and obey, that's the qualifier right there. That's what makes it all worthwhile. That's what makes it operate. I'll tell you what. If you're living the way God wants you to live, whether he gives you a personality like mine or curses you with a personality like mine, depending on what side of the fence you like to look on, or maybe he's given you a different personality, it does not matter. It does not matter. He's got a specific plan for the way he built you. Use it. And he says, if you do all of these things and walk in my, my ways and obey my statutes and commands, I will give you long life. And Jesus said, not only will I give you a long life, which is eternal life now. For right now you have eternal life. You're living your eternal life right now. It's just you haven't gotten to the other side of the other of of the, the, the property yet. But you walk in there. You're on it all right now. Enjoy it. I will give you long life, and Jesus said also, I will give you life more abundantly. If you're not living a more abundant life, no matter what state you're in, it's a state of being. It's not, am I healthy, am I rich, am I poor, am I, am I sick right now, or, or am I, was I born with something that I, I, I can't, or my children have, a, have this or that. It doesn't really matter. It's society that tells you all this matters. It's Wall Street, I mean, uh, Madison Avenue that tells you, Wall Street too, that tells you all <laughs> this. Somebody in New York tells you something. Listen to me, I'll tell you, I'm from New York. So I put in my notes here with an exclamation point. I don't put too many exclamation points in my notes. I usually just make them when I'm talking. It's a model for us. It's a model for us. What is the true value of wisdom, then, having said all of this? Did I get passionate enough about it? What is the true value of wisdom? More to the point, what value does God himself place on wisdom? Now, you know what the definition of wisdom is, right? The definition of wisdom is not equivalent to knowledge. And it's not having a greater fund of knowledge. It's the deeper understanding of anything. That's wisdom, right? And there are people who have deep understanding, you would think, because, oh, I know how a car works, or I know how a refrigerator works, and I can fix those things. So you would say, well, they have a deep understanding, right? Somebody work on my lawnmower, I work on somebody's computer, I work on my own lawnmower today, i got to fix my lawn tractor when I get home. I have a deeper understanding of mechanical things, which maybe most men do, I think or some women do, right? I'm just giving in generalities, right? Yeah, you do. Matter of fact, he was looking at my uh, Ford Ranger repair manual that I'm giving somebody because they have my truck now. But here's the point. That's not wisdom. That's just knowledge. Adding funds and knowledge, Right? But wisdom is a deep understanding. I mean, it's hard to define, but you know when you understand deeply. Like when that light bulb comes on and you say, I get it. That may be, not necessarily all the time, but that may be an indicator of wisdom. So let's, take, let's see what, more about what God says about wisdom. First, let's define wisdom and its most important attributes. And I looked this up on dictionary.com just to see what dictionary.com said about it. The quality, and this is, this is one of, f- I'm going to give you four, four definitions that they have here. First, the quality or state of being wise. Well, that doesn't tell me much. <laughs> Some people call me a wise guy. No, I don't think they mean I'm very wise. <laughs> but <laughs> a wise acre, for all of you older ones out there. Joe, right, Fred, you know what a wise acre is? <laughs> <My wife. laughs> I, knew, I knew. I knew it was going to involve her. That's why I asked him. What was the first song you ever sang to her? The old gray mare just... I forgot what that that was so funny when he said that. That was 50 years (laughs) old. Fred's a character. But she she lives with him all these years. She still loves him. It's a good thing it's you and not me, man. I couldn't be his brother or anything like that. Anyway, so the quality of state of being wise, knowledge of what is true or right, coupled... Just judgment as to action. Like a wise decision, like a, a wise judge versus somebody who's a foolish judge, right? That's, that's basically what it's talking about. So uh, that's the, uh, the verb, the application of, of wise, I guess. Two, scholar- scholarly knowledge or learning. Three, wise sayings or teachings, precepts. Solomon did all of that, right? A lot of that, especially in Proverbs. But he also wrote Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes, and also the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon. We're going to get into those uh, eventually. Um, Fourth, a wise act or saying. Wikipedia, I looked up Wikipedia, it actually has the best definition, I think. Wisdom is, this is a quote from Wikipedia. Wisdom is a deep understanding and realizing of people things, events, or situations, resulting in the ability to choose or act or inspire to consistently produce the optimum result with a minimum of time, energy, or thought. It is the ability to optimally, effectively, and efficiently apply precepts and knowledge and so produce the desired results." That's a perfect explanation. That's perfect. See, knowledge is not wisdom, right? Wisdom applies knowledge in a certain way to produce the best results. There are a lot of people who can quote scripture. Satan knows scripture more than any of you and I do. Wisdom is also the comprehension of what is true or right coupled with optimum judgment as to action. Another perfect explanation. When you and I have deep understanding, we're going to see, a, going to see an object lesson in that from, from uh, Solomon. You, you know, already know the story about the, the, the prostitute and the mother with the baby, right? Wisdom is also the comprehension of what is true or right, coupled with optimum judgment as to action. That was a perfect example of that, and that's why it's in Scripture. Synonyms include sagacity, discernment, or insight. Wisdom often requires control of one's emotional reactions. Should I say that again? (laughs) Have you ever seen someone who acts rashly? If they don't like something, they get angry. Now, getting angry can be righteous. Sometimes getting angry needs to be done to make somebody realize that they have to do something or not do something, like when you get angry at your kids or so forth, right? But there are people who just, like the old road rage, fly off the handle, fly off the handle right? Now, there are people who don't like you to get angry and you don't want them to get angry at you, so if someone gets angry at me, they may have cause to be angry and I may say that they're flying off the handle simply because I don't like they're getting angry at me, but they may have cause. But here's the point. That was just examples. But here's the point. Wisdom often requires control of one emotion, one's emotions and reaction. Now, does God get angry? Yes. Are we commanded never to get angry in Scripture? No. It's commanded that when you use it, use wisdom. How about love? Can we is is love always done in wisdom? Look at how society is. Look at how many out of uh, you know uh, problems we have with children and and uh, with daddies missing and, and out of wedlock birds and that. Now today it's all t- living together, just having babies, just doing whatever out of love. How many, how many? How many? How much does our society say? Oh, follow your heart. Follow your heart. It's like it's like that's. It's like that's wise advice. We wouldn't have three quarters, maybe more, of the problems we have in society throughout history and in our own personal lives if we didn't ascribe so much wisdom to our own personal decisions, that we follow our heart. Don't follow your heart. Follow wisdom. And if, by the way, it involves your heart, that's good. This is what God's saying to Solomon, right? God, Solomon didn't say, I want what's going to satisfy my heart. He says, I need to, uh, wisdom to guide these people, which is my major job and why I'm here through the Davidic covenant, which is a blessing that I can't believe I even have, right? And God said, not only will I give you those things, but I will also on top of that, because if you can handle those things, like the parable of the talents, he's saying here, then I will also give you the things that you, in your wisdom, didn't ask for, because what you need to you is more important than what you want. That's what he's basically saying, right? You, you get that? That's, that's this whole thing. I mean, I'm expanding on you this for you this thought and how it applies in our lives. By the way, I'm not perfect at all of this but I can speak about it just like you and I can speak to our children about things that they should not do whether we did them or not in our in our foolishness in our past is one thing right yeah that's true I know I know parents because I've talked to this in general in, in passing over the years well I will never tell my children ever to smoke weed or to do this drug because I did it I'd be a hypocrite no you're a fool so be careful but that's the point if you and I live in logic as much as possible in looking at things in black and white and not really relying on our emotions, God will give you the desires of your heart. That's the point. That's the point. Hear that. So this uh, wisdom requires control of one's emotions, or passions, it says in brackets, so that one's principles, reason and knowledge prevail. That your principles, your reason, and your knowledge work together to prevail, to determine one's actions. That's the bottom line. That's why it says God, what? Used wisdom to create everything. Isn't that what God says? What it's basically saying is that God's coordinated His principles, His reason, and His knowledge, and had emotional control enough to create perfection. Sounds sounds like the God I serve. That's why wisdom is so important. That's why I'm so passionate about it. And that's why people sometimes don't like that kind of passion because they don't understand it. They don't really understand. I didn't understand it at one time, but I'm glad I'm learning and I'm going to talk to you more about it. When the subject comes to a discussion of wisdom, if one knows scripture at all, the book of Proverbs immediately comes to mind, doesn't it? So let's spend a few minutes looking at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13. And by the way, this is a small sample of of wisdom there, right? If you have not read this book or you haven't visited it in a while, I implore you to do so. Especially nowadays. Especially nowadays. Take advantage of wisdom. God surely does. Prize wisdom. God's going to show you how much He prizes wisdom through having the, the poster boy of wisdom who is... And He wrote the book of... Right, other writers added to it later on, but the bulk of it is really his stuff. Should have practiced what he preached. Yeah, well, he did until pride got the better of him. Just but see, you're right, and that's why if you look at it, he's sort of a type of Satan's fall. Satan was akin to a Solomon, from all from all from what the accounts seem, until what iniquity was found in him. In Solomon's case. All of these things, did you see, started out right. Until what? Iniquity was found in him. And he almost destroyed that kingdom. Matter of fact, his sons, because of, of what he did, moved forward continually because one of the major things that Solomon did, which was really wrong, was tax them to death. And it was for his personal wealth, by the way. Remember, God added to him wealth. God said, I was going to give you these things, but not, he took it too far. He now added to his own wealth. Even the Queen of Sheba came there, Right. And she said, I had not been told half of the splendor of Solomon when I, until I got there. But we're going to get into that. But you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. So let's see the value that God gives this uh, most important of attributes. Let's have a wisdom fest like we've been having one now. Okay. First of all, while you're there, I'm going to read you. I'm going to establish the baseline of wisdom that's found elsewhere in Scripture. It's found in a couple of places, but here's, here's, here's what I'm talking about. Don't turn there, just keep where you are, but in Psalm 111, in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, the beginning. That's right, the beginning of wisdom. All, not some, all who follow His precepts have, this is the definition of wisdom, good understanding, right? To Him belongs eternal praise. Because God has wisdom, so let's look at Proverbs. We're going to read through these quicks. So ready? Proverbs three and thirteen. Blessed is the man or woman. By the way, <laughs> women, you don't get off the hook here. I don't need no wisdom. I'm just a woman. Blessed, <laughs> kidding. Don't get angry at me. I'm just just There's lighting things up here, right folks. Here. <laughs> I know. Well, it's not that hot. See, I, I had wisdom enough to wait till it cooled off. <laughs> Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains what? Understanding, for she, isn't that interesting? How wisdom is called a she. Yeah. I used to call my car a she, but it used to break a lot. <laughs> <laughs> for she is more pre- profitable, because you see, wisdom. I- I'll be honest with you. This is why it's a she, in my point of view, because when a man thinks of a woman, it's this, especially a woman like a proverbs. And you notice how. Pro- A woman's prize is a prize in in the way of when Scripture describes her as the Proverbs 31 woman. Why do you think women are told and instructed in that way if you've read Proverbs 31? Because that's what a man really wants. No matter how women are glorified in society today, and they can do whatever they want, pretty much, and the laws with them and they can abort babies because even though the baby has a father, the father has no say in it. Women can pretty much do anything in the court systems. I know some people who well, as one major person who's going through a divorce and his wife is raking him over the coals because she's allowed to. My point is this. That's why Satan wants to feminize the world. That's why a lot of deities are feminine, because feelings seem to have more weight. But look at the Proverbs 31 woman and understand that if a man wants that, wisdom is like a map into the Proverbs 31 woman. It's not only useful, it's not only wonderful to have around, but it's beautiful. And if a woman makes the perfect wife, the perfect wife will map into her husband and mesh precisely. But at that point, she's also in Proverbs 31 a counselor, right? Her family rise up and call her blessed. She knows how to provide the things that she needs to provide, including emotional support, including the things that a woman does that men typically cannot do as well by any stretch of the imagination. Well, a woman's total applies to the ways of her household. That's right, exactly. So, she also can buy and sell it in wisdom, right? She could, I mean, so there's wisdom. Women can do a lot of things. If you equate what Proverbs 31 is to a woman and that perfection of what a perfect woman would be, that's what a man would want, and that's what wisdom should be to all of us. The desire of your heart as a man should be this, uh, this godly woman. That's, that's the, the reference standard. Well, the reference standard of wisdom, if you look at it, should be desired as if you desire the perfect woman. Does that make sense? It should be a, a desire of the heart, not just something to gain. Does that, I, I, I hope I'm articulating this right. Wisdom is to be loved, is to be cherished, because you can find a lot of fools and a lot of foolishness in this world. And just like foolishness may be equated to a prostitute, which is still just as much a woman, who should you take into your counsel? Who should you marry? One or the other, which choice will you make? That's what wisdom is. Wisdom or foolishness is like a prostitute versus wisdom being a chaste, beautiful woman brought up in the Lord and perfect in every regard as far as mapping into Proverbs 31 and all of the other things Scripture says about a woman. Look, I'm not trying to say anything about women or not in particular. I'm just talking to you why wisdom, in my point of view, is given the look and feel of of a woman, something God created to be beautiful and soft and wonderful, but also can make decisions and something you want. And you prize. You prize. I guarantee you, if you're a Proverbs 31 woman, unless your husband's something he should not be at all, you will be prized. I guarantee it. You may not all agree with what I'm saying in in every little detail, just watch. Do the experiment. Watch it. Read Proverbs 31 and start doing that stuff. And if you especially have a Christian husband, watch how you'll turn him around. Watch. Proverbs 31. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. Quite an investment. Stop whispering to my wife, Barbara. She didn't tell you what she fed me this morning. She is more precious, verse 15, than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. By wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations, and by understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the deeps were divided, and the clouds let drop the dew. My son, my son, all of us, God's children, preserve sound judgment and discernment. Do not let them out of your sight, even for a moment. They will be life for you, an ornament to grace your neck, Then you will go out on your way in safety and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Have no fear of sudden disaster or of the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being snared. I'm going to read you just another portion and we'll go. Proverbs 24, verse 3. By wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established through wisdom its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures you see the passionate language associated with wisdom do you see this this is poetry this is deep heart stuff it's far cry from the definition that we just read it in wikipedia which was a very good one but nonetheless when you couple the goodness and the things of wisdom and what it truly is and you 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 love it so much that you desire it as all of this precious stuff that's when you get of the beginning, in my opinion, of God's point of view of what wisdom is to Him, God is passionate about wisdom, and that's what you're seeing here. And well, it goes too along with um, living by faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. So you, you know, when you're talking about healing bitterness and things like that, it's not a feeling; it's mm-hmm. a choice. It's a choice, right? And, and saying that, and you make that choice God, because I'm trusting right. you to change my feeling, right? And once you change those feelings, you fall in love with what the results are and you 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 desire them with your heart and you never want to go back to the way it was that's right and then you love the things that are result you desire them I know it's getting late a wise man has a great power and a man of knowledge increases strength for waging war you need guidance and for victory many advisors now we're talking about the black and white stuff of of day-to-day stuff wisdom is too high for a fool I'm gonna stop here listen to this wisdom is too high for a fool In the assembly at the gate, he has nothing to say. That's basically telling you folks, I'm going to wrap up here with this. There are plenty of people who think they have wisdom, but they're fools. Wisdom is so high that people who are fools think they have wisdom because they may know something. That's why this fool is at the gate. You know what the gate used to be in those days in Israel, right? It's where the learned men and and, and, uh, astute people coagulated. They, They congealed around the gates. They used to have court around the gates. How many times have you heard about prophets being and priests being at the gates? Well, you have fools at the gates too. Just like you have fools in pulpits around the world today. And many foolish Christians thinking they're wise listen to these men and women and follow their religion like Joel Osteen, like Beck. That's foolishness that they they talk about. Even though there's a smattering of truth. But did you say that Beck has wisdom? He does not. He has an understanding and he has earthly, God, I mean not, uh, earthly wisdom in certain functions because he knows history. That's good. I'm not, the, I'm not detracting from him. But if you are a Christian and I'm a Christian and you ascribe godly wisdom because he smells and feels and, and even sounds like it, like on that, that thing I sent you, read about the, the, the uh, quote-unquote pastors who, who give that man, he's a Christian. They're fools. They're fools. And this is here. Wisdom is too high for a fool. It's so high they don't even know that they're fools. In the assembly at the gate, he has nothing to say. Well, but what's he doing at the gate? Anyway, that's my class for today. I hope I fired you up. (laughs) Enjoy your week.